I don't know what your last week was like. Uh, my guess is it was something along these lines. You were trying to fulfill your responsibilities at work. You were trying to get kids, if you have them, from one place to another, whether that's school or extracurricular things or whatever that is. Maybe you had people over to your house. Maybe you had family coming into town to visit and all kinds of other things that went on. For me, it looked like trying to prep for being away for study week this week. Uh, even more than that, it looked like an unexpected car uh, breaking down, not knowing what to do and how to figure out what was going on with that, and all kinds of other things that happened that we couldn't even have predicted. And when we come here this morning to worship, we are reminded that God is doing something through everything that happens in our lives. Let these words from Hosea chapter 11 uh, challenge you, uh, encourage you, and help lead us all into worship. This is what God is doing. The more they were called, the more they went away. Yet it was I who taught my people to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. Beloved, God is teaching us how to walk. He is reminding us that he comes to us to heal us and nourish us and feed us. I'd love to look with you this morning in the Gospel of John. If you have a copy of the scriptures, let's look there together. We're in chapter 6, which we've been in the last two weeks. And this will be our third and final week in this chapter together. So this morning I'm going to read verses 40 through 48 and 60 through 71. And those should, verses should be on the screen behind me there in your bulletin. Uh, remember that we're spending uh, this year thinking about what does life with Jesus look like? What does it mean to live our lives with Christ? What does it mean to find life in Jesus? That's the purpose of why John himself says he gave us these 21 chapters of this gospel account. So we're looking at that together. So what I'm going to read to you in these verses is the Word of God. You can bank your entire life on it. This is a portion of a letter from home. Listen to this, John 6, beginning in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Look down in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, 
But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you again and again for your word, and now as we gather together to think about this last section in this chapter that we've been spending multiple weeks on, Lord, would you help us to put it all together? Would you help us to see exactly what you are saying to us about your grace, about the gospel, about Jesus? That, Lord, your truth will be so piercing that our minds, our lives, our emotions, our wills would absolutely receive your word and act this week as if we actually believe it's true. That you would change everything about us because of your truth. We pray this for our good and for your glory. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. Have you all ever wanted to walk away from something? Has there ever been anything in your life that was so challenging, so difficult, so complicated that you actually wanted to walk away from whatever it was you were doing, whatever it was you were having to do? Have you ever had that experience in your life, something that was so difficult that you were just over it and you wanted it to be done? Something that was so uh, engrossing of all that you are, something that was so uh, involved that you just simply were way out of your comfort zone and just thought, I've had enough. Maybe you even started thinking, you know what, this just isn't worth it at all. You ever been there? For me, in high school and college, I had a couple coaches that were absolutely ruthless. They pushed me so hard. There were a lot of, we'll call them verbal shoves, how about that? You ever had any of those verbal shoves, you know, where they were pushing us so hard, not just me, but our team, physically, mentally, emotionally, that it made all of us think, we have had enough. We're just over it. We used to love the game of basketball, and now we find ourselves actually hating it. You ever been there? Not with basketball, but in situations like that. I remember thinking, this is so difficult, it made me want to walk away. It didn't help either that my college coach was um, of the disposition that he didn't really care, care about his players at all. All he cared about is what he could get out of them, not really helping in any way, shape, or form. So many of us ended up actually walking away, and we stopped playing. We were done, burned out, through. Maybe you've been there. Well, let me raise it up a notch. Let me take it up a notch. 
Have you ever wanted to walk away from Jesus? Maybe to say it in a different way. Have you ever imagined walking away from Jesus? You ever thought about that? Now, I want to be very clear here. On the one hand, don't answer that question too quickly. Don't immediately go to, no, I've never wanted to walk away from Jesus. No, I've never imagined walking away from Jesus. Or, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Don't go, don't go the answer, don't go the extremes too quickly because we need to think about that as we're going through this passage. But I do want to make this very, very clear. In asking this question about if, you are, if you've ever thought about walking away from Jesus or ever imagined walking away from Jesus, I want to be very clear to say this because of where we live. I am not communicating that you can lose your salvation. That is not what I want you to hear in that question, Okay? I'm not communicating that you can lose your salvation. I'm trying to communicate that there are many, many times in our lives and there are many places in our lives when we sin, what we're actually saying when we sin is that we don't want Jesus in that part of our lives. That's what I'm trying to get us to think about. You see, at the end of this chapter, what happens, right? Look in verse 66. At the end of this chapter, many, many walk away from Jesus. The vast majority walk away from Jesus. And no, we don't ultimately know where they ended up. We don't ultimately know how they ended up relating to Jesus. We don't know that at all. But the fact remains, at the end of this entire chapter, at the end of this story, many walked away. Listen. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So it's something that we have to think about. Which means maybe this question comes into your mind. Why did they walk away? Why did they walk away? Well, look at verse 60. There were these sayings of Jesus. They were hard sayings. This is what it says in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying Who can listen to it? They walked away because Jesus had these hard sayings. And oh, by the way, this is not that Jesus was telling them something that was too complicated to understand. It's not that they couldn't understand what Jesus is saying. The hardness that's described here is where we actually get the word sclerosis. It's that they didn't want to deal with it. It was hard for them to swallow. It was hard for them to take it in. Because they were, we'll find out what happened. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. They understood it. But they did not want to take it in at all. Well, what were the hard sayings that Jesus was saying? What was it that pushed them, that made them get out of their comfort zone, that made them think, you know what? Maybe it's better to walk away. Maybe it's better to walk away. This is just too difficult to take in. It's too challenging what Jesus is saying. What were these hard sayings? Well, before we can even get to that, we already knew that there was something that tipped the scales. We talked a little bit about it last week. Look in verse 41. Jesus was talking to them, and their response was, and in verse 41, they started grumbling against him. 
You see, this is, this is something we already talked about the last couple of weeks. There was something that already tipped the scales that made them start grumbling. And it's the fact, as verse 41 tells us, that they were willing to acknowledge that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was an amazing teacher, that he could do some amazing things. But when Jesus said that he came from heaven, oh, that was too far. Because they knew that he was claiming divinity. They knew that he was claiming to be equal with God, and that was just too far. So they were already grumbling about Jesus. They were already internally grumbling about the reality that Jesus was claiming to be God, but then there was something else. And we'll summarize this hard saying in this way. The gospel comes from outside of us. You don't know what that hard teaching was, that hard saying was, that they could understand in their head, but they didn't want to swallow it. They were hard in their hearts toward it. This is it. That the gospel is something that is outside of us. It's summarized for us in verse 44 and verse 65. Jesus says it twice because he's pressing it in, because he knows that there are many who, this is hard for them. This is a hard saying for us. This is what he says in verse 44. Excuse me, is that right? Yes. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 65. He says it again. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. It's right after that that many turn and walk away. It's right after that that the vast majority walk away. No one can come to me, Jesus says. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Now, if you hear that and you immediately think to yourself, man, this is really getting me worked up. Internally, this is really hard to think about. And if, if you hear that and you are so immediately worked up that you refuse to listen to anything else that we have to say, if you find yourself wanting to walk away from that, I just want you to remember, Jesus said those words. Just remember, if you can't hear anything else, if the rest of the time you've checked out, just remember, Jesus himself said those words, that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. If the idea of grace, if the idea of election, if that is immediately repulsive to you, just remember, those ideas didn't start with some figure in the 1500s and the 1600s. It goes all the way back to Jesus himself. And therefore, if you want to walk away and can't hear anything, just let that reality alone sink down in. Let the reality that Jesus said these words sink down into you. Wrestle with them. But if you are willing to wrestle with this idea, then let's go this route. If you're willing to be engaged about this idea, then let's go this route. Let me ask you this question. Play this conversation out in your mind or allow me to play it in your mind. Why are you a follower of Jesus? If you're here this morning, why are you a follower of Jesus? If someone were to ask you that, my hunch is this, that we would say, well, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus because I have believed. And I would say that's great, me too. 
But why have you believed and others haven't? Why have you believed and others haven't? Well, you might say, like I would say, well, because I admitted that I was a sinner. And I admitted that I needed Jesus. And I would say, yes, that's great, that's wonderful, but why did you admit that? Why did I admit that? Well, because it dawned on me one day that I was so far away from how God wanted me to live and so far apart from what he wants for my life. So I admitted that I wasn't there and I admitted I wasn't meeting his standards. That's all good and true. And it dawned on me that I should say that I'm not meeting those standards. But you see, at the end of the day, if we think as followers of Jesus, if we think that becoming a Christian is because, and becoming a follower of Christ is because I believed or I admitted something, then at the end of the day, what we're saying is that I'm just a little bit better than other people. I'm just a little bit wiser than others. I'm just a little bit more humble than other people. There's something in me that brought God's grace into my life. Do you see it? And Jesus is saying something else. Jesus is saying, actually, the truth is God draws you. No one can come to me unless the Father draws me. And that doesn't mean that God is pushing us. It means that he's drawing us through love. Look at what Jesus adds in verse 45. Right after he says it the first time, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And then he says this, it's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Do you see? No one can come to me except the Father draws. Well, what does the Father do? Well, the Father teaches. The Father engages. The Father pursues. The Father interacts. The Father wrestles with us. And what he does is he continues to knock down our pride. And he continues to expose things in our lives. God is the one who draws us to Jesus. As a matter of fact, God writes this whole book. This whole book and puts Jesus as the centerpiece so that no matter where we are in the Bible, no matter what we're reading, no matter what genre, no matter what epoch of history, no matter what it is, everything in this book is telling us about Jesus. And he uses that to convince us and convict us and open us up so that we see Jesus. God draws us. It's purely by his grace alone. And nothing that we've done, and not how we've made ourselves different than other people, however humble that that we might try to present ourselves as if we're more humble than other people, it's that God is the one who is drawing us. Now, I know you might immediately think after hearing this, well, I guess this denies free will. Remember, we've talked about this in going through Ephesians, so let's just go back to our illustration. Because if you're hearing this and thinking, well, God draws us, then maybe we don't have any free will. No, that's not true at all. Remember our little illustration that we kind of southernized a little bit about the lion with two choices? 
Remember the lion? He has two choices in front of him. One is a big juicy steak and the other is what? Do you remember? Yes, a tub of cheesy grits. What is that lion going to choose? He's going to choose that steak every single time. He's free to choose either one, but he will choose what is consistent with his condition. He will choose what is consistent with the condition of his heart. You see, we're not denying free will at all. Look at verse 63. This is absolutely devastating to our pride. Jesus says, from the flesh you can do nothing. Life with God, look at what he says in verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Our flesh is no help. We looked at this with John 3 with Jesus and Nicodemus. We can't cause ourselves to be born. We always choose what is consistent with our nature. We want what is consistent with the condition of our heart. See, Jesus is trying to get us to admit that sin is just that bad. Sin is just this bad. It is this deep. And it is so powerful that it renders us without power toward God. It actually means we're dead. It actually means that we always do what we want, and what we want is tied to our heart. And when our heart is bad, we only want to do what's bad. But God comes. God has to act first. God is the one that draws. God is the one that engages. God is the one that pursues. God is the one that comes first and initiates things with us and wrestles with us. Then we end up coming alive and recognizing that all this was from him. Now, if you've been through this and thinking about all of this teaching, thinking about the reality of grace, if you've been through that, wonderful. Maybe what I'm about to say will make sense and describe your life. If you've never wrestled with this stuff before and are thinking about what actually is grace and what actually is God done, then maybe this stage that I'm about to lay out for you will help you understand what might happen in your life And it might help explain when you've run into people who agree with this stuff. Here are some stages that typically happen in our lives. Certainly it was true of mine. When we begin to accept what Jesus is saying here in verse 44 and 65, this is what happens. We don't like it. That's stage one. We don't like it. We don't like it at all. We don't like it because it challenges what we think about God It challenges what we think about ourselves. It challenges what we think about love. It challenges what we think about justice. And we have all kinds of definitions that are not the same as God's. And when this grace begins to break into our lives, it absolutely wreaks havoc over everything that we've ever thought. But when the grace of God begins to sink down into us and inform all of these ideas that we have had and reform these ideas that we have had, What ends up happening is we accept and realize that grace of God, we feel like we've been reborn again. We feel like there's been a brand new conversion because everything is new. And we have to understand God is much bigger than we originally thought. And our sin is much deeper than we ever wanted to admit. And that his love is far more powerful than we could have ever dreamed And when that begins to happen in our lives, 
and we accept that, everything looks new. That's why the next stage is the cage phase. And we begin to understand and believe the grace of God, we need to be put in a cage, many of us, for several years. Because this is all we want to talk about. We want to argue about it. And I should have been put in the cage an extended period of time. The typical was, you know, two to four years. I should have been in this cage five. Automatic from the beginning. I hurt so many people in my life with truth. Because I thought it was right. Thought they were wrong. Terrible listener. Didn't didn't think about the story of their life. Didn't think about what they had been taught. I was just a truth machine. Anytime, anywhere, let's go. Let's talk about this. Let's get after it. And I heard a lot of people. And God graciously showed me that too. And he's still teaching me that. And you know what happens when we come out of the cage phase? We pretty much either go one or two directions. One direction we go is we become elitist, and we think that we're better than everybody else. And you know what? People who struggle with the grace of God and struggle with these ideas, that's often the way they perceive those of us that love the grace of God and embrace the grace of God. We just think we're better than everybody else. We're like this second tier of Christianity, and that is so sad. And we ought to recognize that and repent of that. And if we don't come out elitist, which many of us do, the other side of the cage, kind of the other side of coming out of the cage is this, that the grace of God actually permeates everything about our lives. Like actually, practically. So we start talking about these things, it's not like our blood pressure just goes straight to the roof and we're ready to go. But we're gracious and gentle. And we are humbled. It means that we are actually able, should be able to relate to anyone because we actually don't believe that we're better than anyone else. At any time, at any place, for any reason. That we are no better than anyone else. This truth of the grace of God is supposed to make us the most relatable people in the world. And somehow, we even twist the truth into making us feel that we're superior to other people. Yes, sin is that deep. And we twist the truth to make ourselves look good. Isn't it strange whenever you're talking about the truth and believe the truth, but yet deep down you actually think you're better than other people? Why aren't we quicker at, at acknowledging and recognizing that? I don't know. But I struggle with that too. See, those are the stages that happen. You see, God drawing us, when you put all this chapter together, God drawing us God drawing people to Jesus and our responsibility to believe are held together in this entire chapter. What have we been talking about for two weeks? Jesus has been saying, I'm the bread of life. Take me. 
Take me in and eat my flesh and drink my blood. Take me in. It's digestible. Remember, we've spent a lot of time thinking about this. The idea that we're supposed to give all that we are to Jesus is absolutely true. And at the same time, God is the one who initiates and who draws. Do you see it? I know it's confusing. You might think they're contradictory, but they're not. Throughout this whole chapter, God has been saying over and over, Jesus has been saying over and over, the Holy Spirit caused all this to be written down so that we actually would believe and take Jesus in. God drawing and us believing are all tied in with Jesus. God's drawing us to understand Jesus. Jesus is coming saying, do you see I'm the bread of life? It all culminates in him. But I guess this is what was going on. When you think about this chapter and read back through it, this is what was going on in the minds and hearts of the audience. This is what they were thinking. They they hoped that Jesus would be something for them. They they had wrong expectations about what Jesus was going to be. Look at verse 15. Right after Jesus feeds thousands and thousands of people, They immediately want to make him king. They want Jesus to be the God of their political agenda. And he immediately goes away so he can spend time with his father. They have a hope that Jesus would be the God of their political agenda, not that they had to become part of his kingdom. They were thinking about this world and completely didn't understand what Jesus was doing. And then if you look at verse 25 and 26... They were wanting him to do spectacular things. They were just following him around to the other side of the sea because their bellies were full. They just thought Jesus was that guy that was going to be a gift-giving machine, that he was just going to continue to fill their belly. They wanted him to entertain them. You know why? Because they disliked and had disdain for the normal and ordinary things of life. They wanted him just to continue to do something spectacular and more spectacular. So they ended up walking away. You see, it's the whole chapter. They saw these things that Jesus did. They heard what he said. He wasn't meeting their hopes. He wasn't fulfilling their expectations. So then Jesus turns to his disciples, look at verse 67, and he says, do do you want to go away as well? Do you you want to leave too? Do you want to walk away as well? And then we have those famous words of Peter, right? The ones that we sung together this morning. Look at what Peter says in verse 68 and 69. Where else can we go, Jesus? Where, Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And by the way, when Peter said that, when he said where else can we go, he wasn't meaning You know, Jesus, I think we're staying because you're the best of what's left. When Peter says, where else can we go? These are, this is language of desperation. Remember the story I told you last week about Owen? Those of you that were here, those of you that weren't here, when Owen was almost two years old, we almost lost him. I thought he was going to die. And there were moments in which he was in the hospital when Jenny and I couldn't even recognize our own son. He didn't look like himself at all. 
And both of us got to the point in which there was nothing we could do. We could want all day long to be in his place, but there's nothing that we could do. We were absolutely desperate. We were saying, where else can we go? What else can we do? Nothing. That's what Peter is getting at here. Jesus, we have nothing. Our flesh can, has no contributing value at all. Yes, Jesus, we know that. You are the Savior. Peter is saying we have nothing. Where else can we go, Lord? You have it all. You have everything that we need. Have you ever wanted to walk away from Jesus? You ever imagined walking away from Jesus? You see, we are always walking away from Jesus. When the Jesus of our flesh is more than and different than and greater than the actual Jesus of the Bible. We're always walking away from Jesus when my life is more important to me than the life that Jesus gives. We're always walking away from Jesus when our pride is more important to us than forgiveness. When the shame that we feel is more powerful than the love, the unconditional love that he gives. We're always walking away from Jesus when our fear is greater than the freedom that he gives. We're always walking away from Jesus when maintaining control and thinking that we are in control is actually greater than his grace and what he does by grace. You see, this passage is not so much about walking away as it is all the new possibilities that Jesus creates in our lives. Because in coming as the bread of life, what Jesus is saying as he is communicating that I am the bread of life, what he is saying is that my life is greater than your life of sin and death. The life that I have for you is greater than the life that you think you want to live. My forgiveness is greater than your pride. My love is greater than your shame. My freedom is greater than the fears that you have about your life and who you are and what you want. My grace is so much more powerful than the illusion of control that you are living under and I am living under. Who I really am is greater than the Jesus that you might be imagining me to be. And not only that, but Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, is actually changing us to prefer his life and the life he gives to the life that we think we want. That his death and resurrection is actually changing us so that we prefer forgiveness over our pride. So that we prefer his love rather than our shame. So that we prefer his freedom. And what he says, rather than 
our fear. So that we actually prefer his grace rather than our control. So that we actually want to get into more and more of who the Bible says Jesus is rather than our little imaginations of who we want to create him to be. You see, this whole chapter has been pushing us to realize our own helplessness. Do you remember this that we've talked about for two weeks? Everything in this chapter has been pushing us to admit our own helplessness because Jesus is committed to making himself larger in us. So, when the storm comes, when we're supposed to fulfill responsibilities and we realize we have no resources like the disciples, we're helpless. We don't have the resources to do our jobs or handle the storms of life. Matter of fact, based on last week, we oftentimes just live our lives with a disposition of wanting the gifts more than the giver. And here's Jesus saying, you are more helpless than you could ever imagine. I am so much larger than what you could ever dream up. My grace is sufficient. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your words are words of life. We acknowledge before you that we oftentimes prefer our own life to the life you give. We prefer our fear rather than your freedom, our shame rather than your love. We prefer our pride rather than your forgiveness. We prefer to create you out of our own imaginations rather than see who you actually are in your word. And Jesus, you know how much we cling, so tightly cling to the illusion of control rather than basking in your grace. So help us Help us to take you in again and again and again and to believe and to find our life in you for your glory. Amen. But beloved of God, know that what Jesus has done for you through his death and resurrection means something for your lives this week. It means that they're new. It means that your life is about God, not about you and your plans or your agenda but what God wants. So receive his blessing and know that he will fulfill this purpose in you because it's been bought by the blood of Jesus. The Lord, your God, this week is going to bless you and he is also going to keep you. This week, no matter what you're doing, his smile is upon you. And he is going to be gracious to you because we're going to sin a lot this week. And his presence is going to be with us now and forever. And one day, he will make us whole. He will bring shalom. It's all true because of Christ. Amen. Go in peace.